Philippians chapter 3. Father, thank you so much for this opportunity that we have this morning to worship you in accordance with your word. Your word is truth. We pray that you'd help us to surrender our minds, our hearts, our will to you now that your spirit would teach us. Accomplish your will and be glorified, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Gentlemen's Quarterly, in its April 19th, 2018 edition, gave a shout-out to the Bible. In an article entitled, 21 Books You Don't Have to Read. Here's one little snippet of that article. The Holy Bible is rated very highly by all the people who supposedly live by it, but who in actuality have never read it. Those who have read it know that there are some good parts. But overall, it is certainly not the finest thing that man has ever produced. It is repetitive, self-contradictory, sententious, that means to be um, uh, pompously um, moral, foolish, and even at times ill-intentioned. So this is one man's thoughts that were passed through editors and then published. You know, so long as a person can pass off the divine nature of the Bible, the fact that God inspired it, they can feel good about their assertions. But when each of us puts our head on our pillow at night, or when we lie on a hospital bed awaiting our final breaths to depart our body, when our days are waning in this life, you and I will have to consider the claims of the Bible. The Bible does not claim to be the finest thing man ever produced. It claims to have a divine origin. The Bible tells us that it was authored by God through the pens of men. The Bible answers questions concerning our origin and purpose, our problem, the solution to our problem, and our end. And so I ask you, my dear friend, where will you spend eternity? When you do arrive at that final day of your earthly pilgrimage, and that day will come. None of us in human history has avoided that, other than a few notable exceptions that the Bible describes to us. Um, everyone loses the battle against time. Even Tom will lose his battle versus time. He will. We all will. And when that last day comes, you and I have to be honest about what comes next. Oh, you can pass it off as though I'll just die and go into the ground. But something deep inside of you tells you that you're not quite so positive. There's something in the back of your mind that says, that's what I think and that's what I hope. 
Where will you spend eternity? Those of us who know Jesus Christ as our Savior know that our ultimate destiny is an eternal home with God in His presence forever. It is essential to understand that no one, no one will enter God's glorious heaven. No one will enter God's glorious heaven without total transformation. And while total transformation awaits us over the course of our earthly pilgrimage, we should be experiencing daily areas of transformation. And the text that we have before us in Philippians chapter 3 speaks of this. Take a look with me, please. Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 17. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, they walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end, their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame with mindset on earthly things. But, but, our citizenship, where we really belong, our home, our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. Therefore, my brothers whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus, Stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Stand firm based on the fact that you know what God has revealed. Stand firm on the reality that God has spoken about how it all ends. See, I don't have any question in my mind how it ends. Because I know, I believe, I understand the Bible to be of divine origin, not of human instrumentation. God used Men, they carried them along by the Holy Spirit to bring forth the pages of Scripture and the words of Scripture. But I understand that God is the author of this this book, these truths. And so I can go into my daily life. I can go toward my eternity. I can actually enter into eternity with the greatest of confidence that what He has said is true. Stand fast. Stand firm. Thus in the Lord, that our home, our citizenship is in heaven. We're moving toward an end. And if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are moving toward heaven. Heaven is described in the Bible not in its greatest detail, just enough. Just enough to be um, streets of purest gold. Gates of finest gem pearls. Uh, we, we, we see all kinds of colorful description of heaven. We don't, we don't know what it's all going to look like. We know that there are trees there. There's a tree of life. Interestingly, that tree of life gives forth 12 different fruits, one each month. 
Can you, I'd like you to find a tree around here that gives off a different fruit every month. We're talking about something that is supernatural, extraterrestrial, outside of what we know. There is a, a, a river of life there. There are angels surrounding the throne of God, crying out with great joy about the holiness of our great God, who is three in one. And there, in the midst of this whole scene, the Bible describes a people, humans like us, from every race, every tribe, every tongue. And they all have one song. Not ten different songs, with ten different contents and ten different styles. One song, and it all revolves around glory to our great God and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who laid his life down. He shed his blood. So we have something to sing about. This is, this is where those who know Jesus as their Savior, we're headed there. And we don't have the fullest comprehension of what it will all be like. But we know We know that the Bible is true and we know that God is there in in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. They're there. And we know that believers of past, present, and future will be there. We know that we won't struggle with pain or anxiety or depression we won't be in bondage to sin. No, no problems with alcohol or drugs. No sexual abuse in heaven. No pornography in heaven. No pedophilia in heaven. There won't be people abusing their own citizens. There won't be people that are oppressed there. No one will seem as though they don't have anything to eat. No one will be poor. No one will be hungry. No one will be thirsty. These are all elements of the former things. Folks, there's a day coming when all of this, the things that people struggle with daily, will be behind us. We're moving toward heaven. That day is coming. Whether you're ready or not, that day is coming. The question is, are you ready? It's essential. It is of utmost importance that we understand no one, no one makes it to heaven without total transformation. We, we will notice that in a sense from this passage. Our first item of interest this morning is transformation impacts our eternal destiny. No one will abide in God's presence, His eternal presence, without being completely perfect. Now that sounds unfathomable, doesn't it? It sounds unthinkable, doesn't it? It sounds like I better pack it in and so I'm not going to make it. Well, I hope that that's the way it makes you feel from a human perspective because that's the way it should make you feel. I cannot do enough to earn a place in the presence of God. He is perfectly holy, perfectly righteous, and perfectly just, and I am completely the opposite of that. I am perfectly corrupt. I'm completely sold under sin. That's 
what the Bible tells us. Look at what it says here. Verse 17, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. We're going to come back to that. Verse 18, for many, many. It's a sad word, isn't it? For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears. In other words, he's not taking joy in his proclamation about these who walk contrary. For many of whom I have told you often and now tell you even with tears walk as what? Enemies of the cross of Christ. In other words, they walk in contradiction to the cross. They walk... Here's what the Gospel tells us. Here's my sin. My sin condemns me and my sin doesn't satisfy me. Why do I want to abide here? This is what the, 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 the Gospel tells me. Turn from... My sin. Away from my sin. Because it doesn't satisfy and it doesn't have a good end. Turn from my sin and and see a Savior. His name is Jesus. You see that God in Christ laid down His life to bear my sin. So I turn from it and I turn to Him. And I recognize because the Bible tells me That Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection is a satisfying, sufficient payment for my sin. So I turn from my sin, and I turn to the Savior, and I have redemption or justification. I have salvation. I've been born again. These folks walk contrary to to that gospel message. Instead of turning from sin and toward the Savior, guess what they do? Turn from the Savior and turn toward their sin. Now, our sin is kind of tricky, isn't it? We have sins that are blatantly sinful. We can be angry. Anyone in here not think anger is sinful? When we are angry, we recognize our sin. We can be lustful, whether it be toward money or toward people. Anyone in here think that's not sinful? We're all very well aware of it. Drunkenness. Now, we're not going to talk about alcohol, just drunkenness. Overindulging in alcohol. Anyone in here not think that that's a problem? Everyone would say, okay, that's, that's obvious. So, there are certain sins that are very obvious. And then there's the subtle sins. I'm a little bit more spiritual than you are. That's why I get to be behind the pulpit. (laughs) And you get to sit in the pew, because I have something to offer you. (sighs) What I have to offer you is not mine. It's right here. I am not special. The Word is special. The Spirit is special who indwells and speaks through me, I pray, is special. And the one to whom I point you, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Father, He is special. I'm a little better than you are. And we all can struggle with that. Because my sin is not so irritating as yours. Yours is super irritating. Mine is only minimally irritating. (laughs) That also, folks, 
is walking contrary to the cross of Christ. And so Paul is he's not, he's not pointing this um, devilish message. He's saying, I have warned you that there are people that don't embrace fully and live out fully the gospel of Jesus Christ. All right, well, that's, that's we, we actually, as we look at that, we can say, man, I, I wonder, sometimes I land up on that side, and that could be a little discouraging. Now, but we're going to see the, the, the fullness of the group he's t- pointing to. Because just because there are points in my life where I can say, yeah, I, I follow a, a, along with those people, there's a point in which I say, that's not me. And that's the next verse. Because those that, that walk truly in contrast to the gospel, the cross of Christ, he lets us know what, what their, their end is. He says in verse 19, their end is what? Destruction. The Bible describes this destruction in many places. Uh, you can see it in, in Revelation 20. You can see it in Revelation 14. You can see it in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. You can see it in, in a lot of places. When, when he's talking about destruction, like he does at the beginning of Galatians chapter 1, when he talks about those that, that follow in a contrary gospel and preach a gospel that's not the same one, that their end is, is utter destruction. Utter destruction. Apart from the presence of God. Not under the smile of God. Not in the glory and joy of God, in the fullness and satisfaction of God, in the peace of God. The absolute opposite of that. They're under the curse. The curse that their sin, and my sin, deserves. No one will abide in the presence of God without perfect holiness, perfect righteousness, or total transformation. Uh, Turn in your Bibles, please, to the book of Revelation 21. That's uh, in our church Bibles. You'll find that on uh, page 1041. So 1041, Revelation chapter 21. What a glorious picture is painted here in these first verses of the 21st chapter of of Revelation. He paints a beautiful picture of God's presence and God's people in God's presence. John proceeds to tell us that um, in this there are, there are untold blessings. Verse 1, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be His people, and God Himself will be with them as their God. He, God, will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am 
I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. In other words, I know how this thing goes. I'm at the beginning. I'm at the end because I am the beginning. I am the end. This is a done deal. It's visionary for you. It's future for us, but it's present with God. It's done. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son. So now we're not talking just about the masses. These are my people and I am their God. Now I am his father and he is my son. This is, this is incredible. This isn't just glorious. This isn't just mass joy. This is also intimacy with God. This is what God paints as a picture of heaven. But he also tells us not everyone's going to be there. In the next verse, sudden, sudden sadness strikes us in the midst of utter joy. Listen to what it says. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexual immoral, sorcerers, idolaters. Listen, please. We, we stop right there. We're like, yeah, they all deserve it. Rotten people. Oh. Your, your, your grandmother ever tell you you uttered a white lie? Because the next thing it says, and all, all liars. Ruh-roh. Don't sit there and tell me you never lied. Just so you know, deceit. Manipulation. Kind of just shading the truth. You're walking up like the edge of it. Skirting it a little bit. That's a lie. There's no one in this room that does not fall into the dreadful state of verse 8. All liars. Oh, well, well, what about them? What about them? What does it say? Their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Maybe he made a mistake. Maybe that just slipped. Our GQ article might feel that way because they think it was not the finest work of man's hands. Well, let me just tell you, it's God's work. It's divine in its origin, but maybe he misspoke. Next chapter. Take a right, one page. Chapter 22. Verses 14 and 15. Oh, blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life. I love this. And that they may enter the city by the gates. I love this. We're entering into the presence of God. It's an eternal, glorious, joyful, peaceful presence. It's great. Verse 15 smacks us outside. Outside of the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and the murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices what? Falsehood. We've got serious problems. And if you think maybe the Apostle John was having a senior moment, he was making a mistake. Well, let's see what the psalmist has to say about it in Psalm 15. In Psalm 15, this will be on the screen. The first screen, words are nice and big. Second screen, words are nice and small. If you don't see it, take a look at uh, Psalm 15 later. 
Sorry about that. I should have made them bigger. In Psalm 15, the psalmist is describing the character of those who will dwell in God's holy hill. It says, He who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart, who does not slander with his tongue and does no evil to his neighbor, nor takes up a reproach against his friend, in whose eyes a vile person is despised. In other words, they, they have the same senses that God has. But who honors those who fear the Lord. Who swears to his own hurt. And does not change or turn back. Who does not put out his money at interest. And does not take a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things shall never be moved. Are we getting the sense of who belongs in heaven? If we haven't gotten it yet, Jesus had something to say about it. In Matthew chapter 5 and verse 48, Jesus said this, You therefore must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Peter quotes Leviticus in 1 Peter 1.16. In 1.15, he applies Leviticus. 11.44, and here's what he says. As he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. If we need to be perfect in order to enter into the presence of God eternally, and the Bible declares that all are sinners, we have a major problem. We have a major problem. You ready? We need to be transformed. We need to be transformed. Look at what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15. That'll be on page 962 of our church Bibles. 1 Corinthians 15. If we don't have an understanding of the perfect standard of God, we have a lessened a diminished view of the Gospel. If we don't understand the utter perfection that is necessary to enter into God's eternal home, we will not treasure and exalt and rejoice in the truthfulness of the Gospel message. Here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it's a, a chapter about resurrection Beginning in verse 49, we have these great words to help us to understand very clearly that we must be transformed in order to enter the presence of God. Verse 49, just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, speaking of Adam, we're just like him, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Who might that be, folks? Yes, just like we day by day demonstrate that I am one of Adam's children, I demonstrate it in the way that I look. We all have two eyes, a nose, a mouth, two ears. We have, we have hands and feet. We look like Adam, and we, we act like him. In other words, God gave very simple directives, and Adam said, "Yeah, I choose Eve. 
or more specifically, I choose me. We bear that image. And just like we bear the image of Adam, so we shall bear in fullness the image of the man of heaven, Jesus. We'll look and act and speak and think and do like him. Verse 50. I tell you this, brothers. I tell you this, brothers. Flesh and blood cannot, cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be what? What's another word for changed? Transformed. We will be transformed. When? How is this going to take place? In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable. And we shall be what? Changed. For this perishable body must put on imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. No one, no one will enter into heaven without total transformation. This doesn't happen to every human. This happens to those who know Jesus Christ. We are moving toward the end. We're moving toward the end. And for those of us that know Jesus as our Savior, that see our sin for what it is, and our sin for what it deserves, and our sin for what it does in our relationship with God, we, we treasure the Gospel. And we treasure the God of the Gospel. God the Father. God the Son. And God the Holy Spirit. Because we recognize without God's miraculous divine intervention, I would get the just recompense of my actions, which is in eternity separated on the outside. On the outside. Outside of God's glorious presence. Outside of God's glorious joy. Outside of God's filling peace and satisfaction and love and intimacy. In fact, outside of God's miraculous intervention, I will spend, I would spend an eternity separate from Him, receiving judgment for my rebellion because I walked contrary to the cross of Christ. And my end was, was destruction until, until God opened my eyes to see that this is not the work of men. That this is not just some fallible piece of literature that's repetitive and self-contradictory and pompously moral. That poor guy does not know. He doesn't know Christ. He doesn't know God. He doesn't know the truth of the Bible. And unless God intervenes Unless God opens that man's eyes that he might see the glory of the gospel and the truthfulness of the word, he will spend eternity and he will regret those words. I, I, I wonder if they'll ring in his ears. I wonder if it'll just keep sounding and sounding and sounding and sounding again. I don't know the guy. What can I do? But here you are. Here we are. Folks, our end does not need to be destruction. God, in his glorious kindness and his long-suffering toward us, laid 
down the life of his precious, beloved, the son of his love. He lays his son's life down to bear my sin so that I will not experience the just reward for my sin. This is the gospel. Do you see your sin? Do you see what it does, what it deserves? So we want, we want to live and respond in accordance with how God has told us. The gospel declares Jesus' perfect fulfillment of every requirement. He walked in perfection in our place. Then he laid down his life as a substitutionary sacrifice. In other words, he paid for our sins instead of us. God, having been satisfied with his payment, raised him up. The apostles preached a gospel of repentance and belief. When we see the sacrifice of Jesus, it causes us to see the futility of our sin. Thus, we turn from our sin and our way. We believe the gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ, and this results in justification. Galatians 2.16 talks about justification. Romans chapters 4 and 5 talk about justification. It's the removal of our sin, the condemnation our sin deserves, the judgment of our sin, and it adds Jesus' perfect righteousness. This comes through faith in Christ. That's a transformation of the records. If you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, if, if you've come to see your sin for what it is, and Jesus for who He is, and you have trusted Christ as your Savior, God has transformed the record of heaven. Instead of it reading, Rob, the sinner, the idolater, the liar, the rebellious, it reads, Rob, the righteous. And you could describe many things all in accordance with Jesus' perfect fulfillment of the law. This is justification. He changed the records. They've been transformed because of trusted Christ. No one will enter heaven without this transformation. Friend, I don't know. I, I, how can I know in your life whether that's taken place? You, you need to figure this out. You, between you and the Lord. One of the things I can tell you is the Bible tells us in both Romans chapter 8 and Galatians chapter 4 that if you're one of God's children, God's spirit bears witness in you. You know how he bears witness? He helps you to recognize that God is not an ogre or a potent, cruel judge but God is your Father who has given you life and has called you to Himself. And His Spirit bears witness with your spirit that you are a son of His. And your, your human spirit, through God's Holy Spirit, cries out, Abba, Father. Father, you are. I have a relationship with you. It's real. It's tangible. And it's eternal. That kind of a relationship with God provides 
the total transformation that we need. The end of our passage in the book of Philippians talks about the power of God, and next week we'll, we're going to pick up on it. But what it's going to tell us is that at the end of our days, when the Lord Jesus comes to get His bride, my body, my soul, and my spirit will be completely transformed. This lowly body will be like unto His glorious body. And the power to bring that about, not mine, not the church's, but the power of Jesus Christ Himself, whereby He brings everything into subjection. That's what He does. It's His power. And whenever God designs to do something, He always does it because He is God. I like that. So if you've trusted Christ, total transformation is coming. And you will be forever in the presence of God.